Thanks, Joel. Good evening, everyone. Great to see you here tonight. Um, and big welcome if you're here for the Life Series. Uh, you're joining us as we explore who Jesus is and what he's come to do. Tonight, we're, we're thinking about the death of Jesus. And I want to ask you this question as we think about the death of Jesus. Uh, what's your picture of God? What is God like as you think about him in his character? And let me give you two options, uh, two very clear options. One is God is the God of love. Uh, he's kind, he's forgiving, he's loving. Uh, that's the God I believe in. Or is the God you believe in, the God that you think is there, the God of justice, uh, the God who punishes evil, who will bring people to account on that last day? I reckon more than 50 years ago, so I'm told, um, that was the more popular version of God. Uh, God is a judge who will judge evil, and people were pleasantly surprised when they learnt God is actually a God of love. Um, I reckon that's actually switched uh, today, hasn't it? Uh, God surely is the God of love. Surely he forgives everyone. I'm a little bit shocked, even offended, that he's the God of, who also judges. I pick it up when I um, talk to people. So I distinctly remember a, a conversation with uh, a relative two Christmases ago. We sat down. Um, she was, she's very warm towards Christianity. And she says to me, I, I love Christianity. I just don't like the judgment part. Uh, that's what she said to me. Now, when people find out I'm a pastor, um, I've had people say to me, you're not a fire and brimstone preacher, are you? And I think what they mean is, uh, isn't that old school? Isn't that the way we used to think about God? God is not a judge, surely. Surely he's about love and forgiveness and kindness. And that's what you're about, isn't it? Is God a God of love or is he a God of judgment? And as you think about that, your answer might reflect what you think you need from God. So do you think you need forgiveness from God, the God who is the loving God? Or do you think you need justice for God, from God? Uh, are you crying out to God to forgive you? Or are you crying out to God, please bring justice to me or to our world? Two very different things, aren't they? And in order to answer that question, you might think, how did you pray if you do pray? How did you pray this week? Did you pray for, for forgiveness or did you pray for justice? Um, I can't remember that many times I've prayed for justice. I, I, I don't know whether I did this week. I prayed for forgiveness this week. I prayed for forgiveness today. Uh, I often pray about forgiveness. Um, occasionally I'll pray for justice, uh, mostly for other people and a world that is broken. Um, what would you say we need? Do we need to be forgiven is that what our world needs? Is that what the coast needs? Is that what you need? Or do we need a judge, someone to bring justice? Now, a couple of years ago, we don't need to guess what the answers are. Um, our sister church down at EV, uh, that little church down the road, uh, if you know it, uh, did a community survey. They surveyed 800 coasties uh, who don't go to church. 500 people came back with responses to that question. Um, and here are the results up on the screen. 63% said, we need forgiveness. 19% uh, said, justice. Uh, God needs to bring justice to, our, to the Central Coast. Uh, interesting, 12% of people said, both. 6% uh, of people said, well, it depends on the crime, depends on if there's remorse. 
uh, perhaps then God should bring forgiveness. Really interesting, isn't it? That the majority said forgiveness. I don't know whether that's what you're expecting. I don't know whether that's your answer. But it says something about us, doesn't it? Uh, that we want forgiveness. Perhaps it says something that we actually realise, actually, when I come face to face with God, I'm not as good as I, I know I should be. I hope, he, I hope he forgives. I hope he's the God of love because I'm in trouble. Perhaps there's a humility there. Um, it's, it reflects what we, we've just said, doesn't it? That uh, we like to think of God nowadays as the God of, who's loving and forgiving, not the God who's a judge. But I reckon it's also the product of our lifestyle. Uh, we're not generally suffering great injustices. Now, some of us are, and some people on the coast are. It would depend on who you're asking. But generally, we live in safety and comfort, and so we're not crying out to God for justice. But that depends on who you ask, doesn't it? You ask someone who's trapped in a really ugly family situation, and they might say, oh, gee, I hope God brings justice. You ask someone who lives in Africa under poverty or under a corrupt government, and I reckon they'd be saying, gee, I hope God brings justice. Now, what's really interesting too is we saw that some people said both. God needs to be both the forgiving God, he needs to bring forgiveness, he needs to be the judge who brings justice. And they actually need to work together. He needs to do both. And I reckon that taps into something very true, that there's a relationship between love and justice. They're not actually polar opposites, as they're often painted. Uh, they're not opposites at all. Uh, if you love then I think you want justice served. If you exercise true justice, you've just exercised true love. They, the two go hand in hand. Now think about that for a moment. If you think about someone who's been badly wronged, uh, think about a victim, perhaps think about a victim of abuse. Uh, to love and honour them, surely, is to seek justice for them, isn't it? Um, to... To ignore them, to not seek justice, what does that say? Um, it doesn't matter. That's a profoundly unloving thing to do, isn't it? Even as we think about the perpetrator, to love and honour them is to say to them, no, 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 what you've done really matters. That is serious. That deserves punishment. Um, to truly love you, we're going we're gonna to call you on it. There's something inside of us, isn't there, that says... This is not right when we see things like that. that we, we long for justice. God's put it in our hearts, I think, that things aren't right. They should be right and they're not right. And the Bible says the God who actually exists is the God who loves his world so much that he's committed uh, to punishing evil. He won't let it go. Now, the God who is perfect love is also the God who's the perfect judge. He's both. Uh, God's love expresses itself in, in perfect judgment and his, his judgments, his perfect judgments, are always loving. Uh, they're not in opposition to each other. Uh, let me refer you to this movie, The Painted Veil. I don't know whether... Has anyone seen this movie? Um, probably too old. You're all too young. Uh, Naomi Watts features in this movie. She, she plays a young wife... Uh, a young wife who sadly grows bored with her husband. She has an affair. And there's a key moment in the movie where her husband is about to catch them out. And he stands on one side of the door 
um, the, the handle begins to turn and then the handle stops and he has a decision to make. What will he do about his wife's infidelity? And then you hear footsteps receding. He actually doesn't pr proceed. He backs away from the door and he leaves them. And years later in the, in the movie, she, she asks him, why, why didn't you do something? What is she asking? She's asking, why didn't you put things right as you know you should have? And his answer is devastating. He says, because it wasn't worth it. What a, what a terrible thing to say. Uh, what is he saying? Because you weren't worth it. See, the person who doesn't care enough doesn't love enough, doesn't love at all. Do you, remember the, do you remember the teacher at school who never marked your work? Now, you might be pleased about that, but that, that's the teacher who didn't really care. See, if, if you want a God who loves, then you've got to expect a God who will punish evil. He will not let it go. He cares. He deeply cares for his world. The question is, though, how good a job do you want God to do with the evil in the world. So it's one thing to say to God, why don't you fix the problem in the Middle East? Bring judgment, bring justice. Why don't you fix the problem to the crime in Sydney or the crime on the Central Coast or the guy that speeds down my street or the guy in the street or what about me? Do we want God to bring justice to us? Do we want God to judge us? We want God to judge and bring us to account for the evil in our own lives. If, if God measured our lives on a scale, on a ladder, from good at the top to bad, we've got a ladder here. Have a look at this ladder. So we had fun with this this morning. Uh, if God is on the top of the, top of the ladder, he is the, the top rung, he is perfectly good and holy and pure, and the bottom rung is evil... Um, we placed people on the, on the ladder. I won't get you to do that tonight, um, but here, here are some of the people that we had a look at. I'll actually start at the bottom. So everyone agreed that Adolf Hitler, oh, sorry, yeah, we've got Adolf Hitler, there he is, uh, was deserving of the bottom rung. Are we agreeing? Yes. Um, pretty evil guy. Um, committed millions of murders. Uh, personified as a man of great evil, uh, was put on the bottom. Um, the second up from the top is what we've called the morgue rat. Um, so we learnt that... I learnt this for the first time. There are people who steal from dead bodies in Sydney's morgue. They actually caught them recently. That's awful, isn't it? Uh, people carrying... When they've died, they've come to the morgue. Um, they've got cash on them. They've got medals from Anzac Day if, if veterans passed away during Anzac Day um, rings, diamond rings, jewellery got, got stolen over a period of time they f um, found that it was actually the workers or some of the workers um, who did this low, low act um, so people put them right close to the bottom on the scale of bad to good in God's eyes um, the next one up is, we've called him the cannabis fire guy. Um, so I don't know whether you heard in the news, up at Ebor, 
northern New South Wales. Uh, there was a guy when the fires came close, he got really nervous because he had a cannabis crop in his backyard on a huge property that he thought no one would ever see. And as the fire approached, he realised everyone is going to see and is going to be destroyed. And so he, he apparently did his own backburning irresponsibly um, to protect his property and I guess draw attention away from his property. It failed. He nearly caused um, the loss of the whole of Ebor, apparently. Um, but what a, people thought, what a low act. Uh, what a terrible thing to endanger those lives selfishly because you were trying to hide um, your, um, your drug factory. There's the middle, we'll get to. And then there's, towards the top, there was a, there was a few heroes, uh, good people. So a guy by the name of Ryan Channels, firefighter, um, I think up Port Macquarie way on the north coast, north of here. Uh, I think he was diagnosed with cancer recently, but shortly after he got that diagnosis, he was out with his crew fighting fires, protecting his community, and people saw him as a great hero and, and what a great man, what a man with great heart uh, for his um, fellow community members. Or a lady called Catherine Hamlin, a gynaecologist, uh, who set up a fistula hospital in Ethiopia, uh, you know, relieved such suffering from, I think, 60,000 women um, over decades um, of generous, loving, um, self-effacing lady uh, who people thought, well, she's on the, the good scale. Now, there it is. There's where we, we place people. And it is interesting, isn't it? In life, we do this. We place people on a scale. We say they're good, they're somewhat good, they're not so good, they are actually evil. That is really bad. And we even do it to ourselves as well. Um, so we say to ourselves, this is where I think I am. Uh, we might even say, this is what I think God would consider acceptable. I'm over the pass or I'm under the pass. And I know I'm not going to be accepted by God. So let me ask you tonight, we've got one more person here and it's, um, it's our senior pastor, David Sheath. Where do you want to put David Sheath on the scale? Um, did I hear right down the bottom? Um, people were putting him way up the top and I just think they just got to get to know him, but no. <laughs> All due respect, um, people put him high, but we put him about halfway. Um, so there he is, just below the heroes. Now, more important than that, what about this person, which is you? Where would you put yourself? How would you see yourself on that scale? Do you think, yep, I'm good? Or do you look at yourself and go, actually, I'm not so good and I need help? So I'm going to, um, how do we get around this this morning? We, we, kind of, we kind of put it there. We fudged it. Um, so you're in the mid midpoint there. It's really interesting, isn't it? We're very good at analysing how good other people are. We're perhaps not always so good at analysing ourselves and how, how actually good or not so good we are. But where would you put yourself uh, is the question. Uh, now, one of the problems we've got is that we, we actually overestimate how good we are so often. Um, and when it comes to God's scale, remember I said at the, at the beginning, God is the holy, perfect, pure, 
good God. And there is, the Bible keeps telling us there is a massive gulf between God and all of us. Um, So even though we do this pecking order thing, that little pecking order thing is actually right down the bottom and there is a massive gap um, between even the, the, very, the best person we can come up with uh, and God. Okay? So, so what's more appropriate is that we actually put everyone down on the bottom rung to actually represent... Now, we're not, we're not saying we're all the same. There is a difference between us and Adolf Hitler. But when it comes to are you good compared to God... That's the gulf that exists. That's the reality uh, that we face. The truth is that none of us actually treat God like he's God, the way he should be treated. None of us honour him and love him the way we should. In fact, the Bible keeps telling us our natural position is actually to run away from God, to not honour him, to not love him, and not not give thanks to him. Um, And we keep thinking it's about being good and how good we are with other people. But the Bible says, no, no, you've missed the point. And Jesus had to keep explaining this uh, to people of his time. And I think we need to be reminded of it too. Jesus told the story uh, of the lost son. And he told the story, or the prodigal son, he told this story uh, in earshot of the Pharisees or the religious leaders because they'd completely misunderstood what sin is. Um, a bit like us, they thought it was, it's about being good or about being religious and they thought they'd made it. They thought there was an order, some are good, some are religious, some are not so good, some people are sinners right down the bottom. And Jesus says, let me tell you a story that actually explains sin. And he tells the story of a father, a gracious, good father uh, who represents God and the story of his two sons, an older son and a younger son. And he tells the story of the younger son who comes to his father and says, I want my inheritance. Now, I don't know whether you can imagine doing that to your father, but that is a brave, um, bold, bad thing to do. Don't do it. To say to your father, you haven't died yet. I want your money and I want to enjoy it now. And so the father graciously gives it to him. The son takes off. Uh, to another land, squanders the father's wealth, uh, lives, it says, in wild living. Uh, And what is Jesus saying about sin at that point? Jesus is saying, sin is when you say to God, I want to enjoy your good things, I just don't want to honour you. I don't want to give thanks to you. I don't want anything to do with you. Um, I want to go and do my own thing. I want to run my own life. I still want to enjoy your good world. I just don't want anything to do with you. And can you see that when you think about sin that way, it's actually it's nothing to do with being good or bad or religious or someone thinking you're a sinner or not. It's actually about, it's a relational problem, isn't it? We've actually got a really bad relational problem with God. How, how offensive is that when you think about it Humanly speaking, with your own father, how much more offensive and personal is it when you think we've done that uh, to the God of the universe, uh, the God who who made us? 
And so you raise the question, what should God do about this? What should God do about us wanting to run life our own way? Why can't God just forget? Why can't he just forgive us? Um, which is a problem in itself, isn't it? If God had did that and just put it under the carpet, he hasn't dealt with sin. No, no, God, God has a solution. He has one perfect solution. And the solution is the one that satisfies both his great love for his people, for his world, but also his um, perfect justice. And it's an extraordinary solution. It comes at great cost to himself. Uh, God's solution is, is when he sends Jesus into the world uh, to die on the cross. Now have a look at your, the passages in Mark's gospel. In, in your outline there, there's a passage that we heard read out by Joel. And you'll see there the, the very last words of Jesus uh, that he breathes out at the cross, I think sum up what's going on uh, there uh, at the cross. Verse 30, 33, At noon darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's an extraordinary thing, isn't it? What are, what are Jesus' final feelings at the cross? What are his final words? They are ones of being forsaken. He's been deserted by his friends. How is he feeling at that last moment? He's feeling that he's even been forsaken by God. At his death, Jesus feels abandoned. And it's not just that he's been abandoned by his friends. I think Mark's actually trying to point out to us a very important point. That at that moment on the cross, something dramatic happened between God the Father and God the Son. Something happened that fractured the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Uh, just as God cannot look upon evil, just as there's no darkness in God whatsoever... He turns his back upon his son. Uh, there is the most devastating moment in all of history. And you think to yourself, why, why Jesus? Why is it that Jesus is in the darkness? Why is Jesus being punished like he's guilty when we know he's innocent? Well, it's two, it's two things, isn't it? It's because of the love of God and it's because of the justice of God. See, at, at the cross, a great exchange took place. The innocent one, Jesus, stands in our place. He, he is punished. We are the guilty ones. We should have been punished. And Jesus stands in our place. So we, the guilty ones, might go free. We might be forgiven. The Bible says to us over and over again, he bore our sins in his body on the cross. He was punished in our place. Not for his sin, but for our sin. See, see, when it comes to sin and evil, God deals with it thoroughly. He doesn't sweep it under the carpet. Jesus faces it head on at the cross. He faces the judgment of God willingly uh, at great cost to himself. It's justice, isn't it, for our sins? And it's also an extraordinary act of love. What's happening at the cross? God's son on the cross is absorbing in himself the punishment 
for the sins of the world. That's what's happening. Uh, have a look at this picture. Um, on tall buildings in cities, um, so I'm led to believe, um, they construct lightning rods. So when the storm comes, uh, the lightning strikes, it actually gravitates towards the lightning rod and the lightning rod um, conducts uh, the bolt down, absorbs it and conducts it safely away. And the Bible's saying that Jesus is that lightning rod. When the anger of God comes face to face with the sins of the world, including our sins, it comes upon Jesus. It is absorbed, it is conducted by one man, the man Jesus. So when it comes to our sin, uh, we, we so often don't think our sin matters too much or we don't think ignoring God is all that bad. Uh, we don't think apathy towards God is, is all that serious. But it's the wrong perspective, isn't it? See, what is, from God's perspective, he's saying, no, 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 that really matters. That matters so much, I've sent my son to deal with it. You matter so much. I've sent my son, Jesus, for you. Uh, it's, it's the whole reason why Jesus came. Uh, Jesus uh, makes it really, really clear uh, in Mark chapter 10, up, up on the screen here. For even the Son of Man, Jesus referring to himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See that? Jesus came to give his life as a ransom. Uh, I don't know whether you're familiar with the idea of ransom. Uh, we don't kind of use that word too often these days, but Hollywood did help me understand this concept when I, when I saw the movie Ransom. Mel Gibson, who's seen that movie? Yes, there's a, there's a few. 1996, uh, when Mel Gibson was in his heyday. There he is in, in full beauty and handsomeness. Uh, in the movie, his son is kidnapped the captors demand a huge sum uh, to have his son returned. Uh, so it's, you know, there, there's the idea. Cough up the money and you'll get your son back. Uh, a very in, intense, uh, suspenseful movie as, you, as you, that plays out. Um, but there's the idea. A ransom is the price uh, you pay to rescue someone from a situation they cannot get out of themselves. Um, and that's the way it is for us, isn't it? The way we've treated God so offensively to him, um, the rescue price uh, is, is not, not able to be calculated. It's far beyond our ability to pay. And yet at the cross, Jesus, the innocent one, pays the price. He dies in our place, the innocent for the guilty. We're the helpless one. We're the one who need uh, rescue. We need someone to pay for our sins. Jesus pays the ransom. Jesus is the rescuer. And that is even more extraordinary when you think about who it is that Jesus is. Uh, Jesus is the king. Jesus is the creator. He, come, he says he came not to be served, but that would have been completely appropriate for everyone to serve him. He is the king. He's the creator. And yet he serves us. And yet he lays down his life for us. I learned this week uh, in chess. I'm sure there's some chess players out there who can help me with this. There's a move called the King's Gambit. 
Uh, so it's, it's apparently where you sacrifice one piece uh, in the hope that you will win the game. But you'd never sacrifice the king, right? It's never the king, whether it's in chess or in real life, who gets sacrificed. It's going to be one of the lonely, lowly pawns. Now, the stunning thing about Jesus is he is the king and he is the one who is sacrificed. It's not the lowly pawn. We're the lonely pawn who benefits from his death. It's Jesus, the king, the creator, who willingly lays down his life, who actually faces the just and terrible anger of God on our behalf. The king who uh, owed us nothing pays everything and we who owed him everything and couldn't afford to pay him anything um, has done it for us real love real justice together at the cross so can you see tonight the death of Jesus to summarize tells us two really important things Uh, first two really important things about God first the incorruptible justice of God Uh, God won't allow evil to win Uh, He's a good God. Uh, He won't sweep evil under the carpet. It won't go unpunished. He will bring it to account. That is very, very good. He is the perfect judge. But secondly, can you see, we've learnt that he is filled with overwhelming love for us. Um, how, How much love is there in God that he sends his only son at great personal cost for us? That is extraordinary love, isn't it? what's it achieved? Jesus' death has brought us back to God. It means we can be forgiven. We can have a fresh start with God. That is incredible love at great cost uh, to God himself. Now, it does raise a question, doesn't it? What about the person who rejects Jesus, who doesn't trust Jesus? How would God respond to them? So can you imagine that day when you stand before God without your ransom paid and can you imagine God saying to you um, what are you doing here unforgiven Um, what do you think you could say to God at that point Um, do you think you could say to God I don't think your I didn't think your death the death of your son was, was actually that important. I didn't think sin mattered that much. I didn't think it was really that important to you. And what would you expect a loving God to say at that point? Surely God would say, how, how could you think I'd let my son die if you and your sin didn't really matter to me? If it didn't matter, don't you think I would have found another way? How could you be so terribly foolish, I think God would say to us. But you know, Jesus actually tells us what God would say to us on that last day if that was us. They're chilling words. God will say, go away from me, I don't know you. It's that relational problem again, isn't it? We'll find ourselves forsaken by God. See, if if Jesus is not going to pay the ransom for us, who else is going to pay it? We're going to pay it ourselves on that last day. 
Well, if you, if you haven't already, what, would, what do you think would stop you from responding to Jesus even tonight? Well, let me put one big thing in front of you, because I think this is, this is huge. This is the big thing that, can, that stops people. And here's the word. The word is pride. Because what does pride say? Pride says, I'm okay. I don't need forgiveness. I'm already good enough. I'm high enough on the, on the ladder. I don't need God to do anything for me. I can get there. Or God isn't actually that good or God doesn't actually care that much. That's, that's pride, isn't it? Humility is the opposite, isn't it? It says, actually, I am down the bottom of the ladder. Actually, I do need help. Actually, I can't do this. I'm actually not good enough. Please forgive me. So there it is, God, the God of love, the God of justice. Um, The real God is both. He loves the world. He wants to bring justice to the world. He'll punish evil, but he loves us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us, um, to give us that free gift, that free pardon of forgiveness. So I wonder where you stand with that tonight. Um, Prideful or in humility coming to God. I need to be forgiven. Thank you for sending Jesus for me. Um, don't, Don't let these things go. Do explore them further. You might want to join our life course coming up in February. Um... So you can tick on the welcome slip if you'd like to be part of that and explore these things further that we've been going through the last couple of Sundays. Uh, don't miss that opportunity or come and talk to me even tonight. Uh, but why don't we pray now uh, together uh, as we come before God and seek his forgiveness. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are the God of overwhelming love And that means you are the God who will deal with evil. You are the perfect judge. Father, as we think about who you are in all your beauty and goodness and purity and holiness, uh, Lord, we realise we fall so far short. Um, We are sorry for our sin. And we thank you so much that in your great love for us, Uh, You've sent Jesus to die in our place. Thank you. Uh, Thank you that we can be forgiven. Please forgive us. Please renew us. Please help us to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. Help us to live your way. Help us to live with you as our King, our loving Heavenly Father. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen.